Well, good morning and happy birthday, City Light Church. Man, can you believe that it has already been one year? A year ago, this week, we started this whole thing. It's incredible to me. Um, In some ways, it feels like that time has flown by, and in other ways, it feels like we've been at this for a long time. And so I don't know if you started with us at the very beginning, or if this is your first Sunday ever uh, in this place with us, probably likely you joined us somewhere between those two times. But whether you were with us at the beginning or this is your first Sunday, I want you to know this. We gather here this week and every week to celebrate only one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the one that changes lives. He's the one that's with us when we feel alone or abandoned. He's the one that loves us when we're at our worst and unlovable. He changes hearts. He saves souls. And we see all of those things, all of his grace and mercy and love, most clearly in the moment when he hung on the cross, giving his life in the place of your life, paying the penalty for your sin and for mine. But City Light, we don't come here to celebrate a dead Savior. We came here to celebrate because though Jesus died on that cross, he gave his life there, he took it back up again. He was buried in that grave, but he stood up, he got out of those burial clothes, and he walked out, appeared to his disciples, rose again, sat on his throne in heaven, and he is our king now and forever. That's reason to celebrate. That's why we're here. That's who he is. And so I just want you to know, We're here because we will always, every Sunday, on our birthday, on our half birthday, every other week of the year, we're going to celebrate Jesus and his gospel, the good news that God saves sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That's good news. And so we're going to celebrate it now and always. Okay. Uh, That was a free sermon right there, okay? I'm not even started in the text yet. Uh, We're going to dive in today to God's Word because we believe that it says what I just said. It talks to us about the gospel. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. So if you've got your Bibles or you can grab one from a seat in front of you or scroll there in your app. I don't care how you get there, but find Luke chapter 2 and uh, you can track along today. As you're doing that, let me ask you this question. What do you treasure? What kinds of things do you treasure? Um, Maybe more particularly, what memories or moments do you treasure? Just this last week, um, I pulled up Facebook. Now, truth be told, uh, I'm not a great social media guy. I pull it up once in a while. Doug can like things better than a 1990s valley girl, okay? He's on there all the time. I pulled up Facebook this week, and uh, there was, there's a time lapse, one of those memories where it pulls up a picture you posted a long, long time ago, and this is what uh, came up. That is my only daughter. Her name is Bryn. She has beautiful red hair with natural blonde highlights. Um, she's got a killer smile. She's wearing her favorite. She always pink dresses and necklaces. Uh, She's got it on all the time. She's got passion in her emotions, and she's got a mind that loves to connect ideas. And I see this little picture, and all of a sudden, my six-year-old girl is two again. 
And I started thinking about how, uh, what, what it was like to have a two-year-old little girl. And she, would, uh, she had a special name for me. It was like Daddy, but she couldn't say the, uh, she only could say the first D. And then she slurred the rest of it together. And I can't even do it. I recorded it on my phone. So when I have a bad day, I can listen to it. But it was like Daddy, you know, something like that. And she would, I remember, it was her name for me, only she could say it that way, and she only said it to me, and I loved it. And she would run up to me, and she had these short, weak little arms, because she's a two-year-old girl, right? But we did this thing um, that we called a squeeze hug, and she would run up to me, and I'd scoop her up in my arms, and her short, weak little arms would not be able to reach all the way around me, but she'd try as hard as she could and stretch, and then she'd squeeze with all of her might, and I would squeeze her, not quite with all my might, right? She's a two-year-old girl. And we do a squeeze hug. And I love that. And those memories and so much more started flooding my mind. And then I started thinking about all the ways that she's matured over the last four years from a two-year-old girl into a six-year-old girl. And I loved her when she was two, but I love her when she's six. And then I started thinking, what about when she's 12 or 20? I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle this. And tears start welling up in my eyes, and I see a picture like that, and i got to scroll past it fast, or people start thinking my dog died or something, right? It's not good for me. I react when I see stuff like that. You know what I'm talking about? You have those kinds of memories and moments. Why do we respond? Why do we have physical responses to that kind of a memory? I think it's because our hearts have a capacity to treasure things, to hold things, to put a stake in the ground and say, I never want to forget that. I never want to let it go. You know what I'm talking about? I think it's that sort of experience that we're going to see in Luke chapter 2 today. And so we're going to dive into scripture. And today, twice, I, it's, it's, the, it's Jesus' birth chapter, right? And it's our birthday. And so you, that might be where you think I'm going. I didn't even make that connection until Doug was talking to me about it this morning. <laughs> so um, sometimes I struggle as a pastor. But here we go. We're going to look at Mary, okay? And twice in Luke chapter 2, we're going to see Mary treasure up these things, all right? In the second chapter of Luke, um, he's going to talk about Jesus' early life. And we only get two pictures of Jesus uh, before he's an adult, before his public ministry has started. In all of Scripture, we get two pictures of Jesus as a boy. One of them uh, is the events surrounding his birth, The other is Jesus as a 12-year-old boy at the Passover feast, just a celebration in Jerusalem at the temple. And in Luke chapter 2, Luke is given an account of Jesus' life, and he talks about both of those things. And I think it's awesome that Luke, when he records the early life of Jesus, he also gives us a glimpse into what his mom is thinking. And in both cases, we're going to see Mary treasure up these things. Mary's going to treasure moments in her son's life when she sees God moving in and as her son. Moments that prove to her, that remind her, that are evidences of God's faithfulness to the promises that he made to her and to all of his people. And so I want to look at both of these stories today in Luke 2, and we're going to start at the beginning with Jesus' birth. Now, On the night that Jesus was born, 
some angels appear in the sky above some shepherds. And this is what they say. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, the shepherds hear this and they get kind of excited and they decide, we're going to go and see that. If the Savior's here, we're going to go see it. So they head to Bethlehem. They find Mary and Joseph in the barn and Jesus in the manger, the feeding trough. Uh, and they get there, and you got to think, in those days, in these days, babies don't spend much time in barns, right? And if they're in a barn, they don't spend a lot of time napping on the hay meant to feed the animals in that barn. So when the shepherds show up, and see this highly unusual sign that the angel said that they would find. They're excited, because if that's true, everything else the angel said must be true, and that means there's a savior, and it's that little baby boy. And so they're excited to declare it. They show up in the barn. Now, put yourself in Mary's shoes for a minute. Mary is just hours past delivering baby Jesus. For unto you is born this day, right? And so Mary is hours past delivering baby Jesus in a hot, dirty barn because nobody would give her a bed to sleep in. So she herself has just delivered a baby. I've never done that, but I've been around when it happens. I'm sure Mary herself was tired and hot and dirty. But like a good mom, she's got her new baby and she wants what's best for him. She wants him to be comfortable and safe. And so after she's gotten him cleaned off and she's holding him, he falls asleep. She wants a place to lay him down. And she looks over here and there's animals sleeping, right? She looks over there and there's a space, but it's a dirt floor and there's cow poop to watch out for, you know? And so we're not going to lay him there. And so she looks around and she sees the manger, the feeding trough with hay in it for the animals. She says, hey, Joseph, go back those animals up, spread out the hay, flatten it. I'm going to lay them in there. And as he does that, she swaddles up her new little bundle of joy, walks over, and lays lays him in it. Now, I don't know about you, but I put myself in that situation. I look at my baby sleeping on hay in a dirty feeding trough in a dirty barn, and I look around If it was me, and I'm honest, in those moments I have some questions. Hey God, I thought you said this baby was going to be a king. I've I've made a lot of sacrifices here following you, and now I'm in this mess. Literally, the mess of a barn. Where are you? What are you doing? This is nothing like what I expected it to be. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in those moments? Moments where you say, hey God, I gave you my life. I trusted in you, and yet my life is still a mess. Literally, it's broken, it's jacked up, it's messed up, and I don't know what to do. I need you, I'm looking for you, but I don't know where you are. I can't see it, and I'm struggling. Jesus, where are you, and what are you doing? Have you ever been there? If you're there, if you have been there, if you are there, know this, you're not alone. Other people have asked those questions too. I think Mary probably was there. And in that moment of struggle, 
looking at her new baby in a dirty barn, in that moment where her faith was challenged, the shepherds show up. The shepherds are excited because they see a baby in a dirty barn. It's a radically different response to the same situation. All right, let's look at what the shepherds actually said. Luke 2, verse 17. And when they, they, the shepherds, saw it, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But catch this. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. In that moment when her faith was challenged, when she's wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? These shepherds show up and say, hey, God said unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and we found him. Jesus may have been born in a barn rather than a castle, but there was an army of angels that heralded his arrival. He was the king that God said he would be. And when everybody else was wondering, wow, what is God doing? Mary knew exactly what he was doing. God had told her. And in that moment, she puts a stake in the ground and says, I know what God's doing. I see him moving. This isn't a shocker to me. He told me in a dream who my son was going to be. The angels have appeared to me before. They appeared to the shepherds. God knows what he's doing. He's got a plan for my son. I need to remember this. I need to treasure it up. I need to hold on to it so that I never forget when Mary saw God moving in and as her son, when there was evidence that God was who he said he was, when there was proof that he would do what he said he would do, Mary said, I'm going to treasure this. I'm going to create a storehouse and a lockbox so that these memories never escape. Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And so we're going to see her do that again. Um, later on in Luke chapter 2. Twelve years later, after they get out of the barn, Jesus has grown up. Their whole family heads to Jerusalem. They're celebrating uh, a religious holiday called Passover at the temple. And then they got to go back home, which is a few days' journey away. And so they pack up. The whole crew leaves. And a day into the travel, uh, they're, they're unloading for the night. And Mary can't find Jesus. Jesus, where are you? Where'd you go? Not over there. Joseph, have you seen Jesus? No, I don't know where he is. I thought you had him. I don't have him. I thought you had him. And so they start looking around. They don't know where he is. And they, say, they find out Jesus is not with them. 12-year-old Jesus is not with them. They're a day away from where they left. And so they turn around. They head back. They start looking for him. It takes three days, but eventually they do find him. And he's sitting in the temple with the teachers of the day, asking questions and teaching them. And you can imagine, if you're a parent, five days after losing your son, five days wondering where he is, is he safe, is he okay, you find him in the temple, there's a mix of emotions, right? There's relief, oh, he's here, he's okay. There's frustration, why were you not with us, right? There's uh, wonder, what have you been doing? All of these things mixed together, and so Mary asks the question. She says, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. 
Today's version, Jesus, you just stressed us out, you know? Why have you, why have you done this? And I love Jesus' response. He's 12 years old, okay? Uh, imagine you're a 12-year-old boy. You haven't seen him in five days. You've stressed us out. What were you doing? Here's Jesus' response. Why were you looking for me? <laughs> I would have been way more frustrated if I'm the dad in this situation, and that's what he says. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And here it is again. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus' answer to Mary's question, you stressed us out, what were you doing? He says, why were you looking for me? It shows us that Mary didn't know why Jesus was in the temple, but Jesus did. Jesus knew why he was there, and he was asking the same question that Mary was asking. Jesus, why were you here? And Jesus says, you know what? Why didn't you know I was here? I must be in my father's house. Another way to understand that phrase in the original language, I must be about my father's business. Jesus knew exactly why he was in the temple. Because he needed to be in his father's house about his father's business. He was sent for a reason, with a purpose. And though Mary and Joseph didn't fully understand what Jesus was saying, you got to believe that in that moment, when Jesus says that, memories start coming up in Mary's head. Oh yeah, the angels, uh, they appeared to me before Jesus was born and said what he was going to do. And after he was born, the shepherds came and the angels said basically the same thing to them. God is doing something in and as my son, his son. This is evidence that God is doing what he said he would do. Jesus is preparing to be the savior of mankind. To sit on the throne, on David's throne as king forever. And in those moments, when there's evidence of that happening, Mary adds it to the storehouse. And she treasures it up in her heart. I say, like, I don't think the Bible tells us, commands us, that we've got to do this. But I think we can take a cue from Mary. I think we can learn that early on in Jesus' life, Every time Mary sees God moving as her son, she stores it up and remembers it so that it doesn't leak out. The word to treasure there, they're actually two different words and they both mean to keep safe, to hold on to, to not let something leak. She never wants those memories to fade or go away. Early on in the life of Jesus, she's preparing herself to never forget who he is and what he's doing. And City Light, I think we can learn from her that early in the life of our church, it would do us good to treasure up evidences of when God is doing what he said he would do, when he's moving among us. And so I want to spend the rest of our time today just sharing some stories of what I treasure over the last year of when we've seen God doing what he said he would do. And so that begs the question, what do you think God said he would do here, right? Um, I'd answer that this way. I think God's going to multiply disciples in churches. From the very beginning, Doug and I felt called to lead this body 
on a mission to follow Jesus as he multiplies disciples and churches. Disciples is just a simple word that means somebody who follows Jesus. And so I want to tell some stories about when God has multiplied disciples, when he's multiplied churches. Some of you are numbers people. Some of you are people people. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give some stats and tell some stories. All right? You ready for this? We'll start with multiplying disciples. Some stats. What has God done? Well, when our core team started, we had about 50 people gathering together. Now, on Sunday mornings, we have more than 300 people gathering together. Now, I want to be careful here. We're not interested in becoming a mega church. We're not interested in just having more butts in the seats, but we are interested in having souls knowing their Savior, all right? And so it matters that God is multiplying disciples. He's done that. We've got a family here, and this family that gathers every week scatters every week into 11 city groups in different neighborhoods and cul-de-sacs and people groups sharing the good news of the gospel. And as this family's grown, we've, we've dedicated more than 20 babies. We've baptized more than 30 people. And this may be the most impressive of all. We've eaten well over 5,000 donuts. Okay? <laughs> Good work. This stuff matters. It's not just numbers. There are 300 people here who have found a family to belong to. The family of God. It's growing. There are 20 kids who are growing up in a family who's committed to raise them in the knowledge and the love of the Lord. They will never know a day in their lives when they didn't have somebody teaching them about Jesus, praying for them. Oh, I would love for all of the kids in our community to have that testimony, right? There are 30 people who have bowed the knee to King Jesus and gotten baptized because they found new life in him. People really are getting saved. This is what we've prayed for. It's what God said he would do. And so we want to treasure up these moments, these memories. And so I want to share one with you, one story. Uh, I'm going to share the story of the first person that we know of who gave their life to Jesus as part of this body. All right, her name is Kim McNulty. She lived in a neighborhood that Chuck and Jen Kaiser moved into. And when Chuck and Jen moved into that neighborhood, they just went out and met their neighbors. And they met Kim, and they invited her to city group. And some people think that's weird because we study the Bible and eat a meal with a ton of kids running around. But Kim didn't think it was weird. She said okay to that invitation. She showed up at city group, ate a meal with them, made some friends. And so the next week, she came back again. And soon enough, two weeks, it turned into four. And now she was a regular fixture in their city group with friends that loved her. And then they invited her, hey, Kim, do you want to come join us on Sunday morning? And so she did. And I remember the first Sundays that she came to our Sunday morning gathering, she sat right next to Chuck and Jen and all of their city group friends high-fived her and hugged her and they were grateful to see her there. And then one Sunday, as we were getting ready to serve communion, Kim turns to Jen and says, hey, can I take communion this morning? And I didn't sit in on the conversation, but Jen asked her a couple questions. I imagine it was something like this. Well, well, Kim, do you believe that Jesus died to pay the price for your sin? And Kim said, yeah. And Jen said, well, do you want to follow him as your savior and king for the rest of your life? And Kim said, yeah. Kim had become a Christian. And so Jen walked with her up to take communion, and together they got to celebrate what Jesus had done for both of them. Remembering his work on the cross. That's incredible. 
Kim's story is simple. Somebody in a city group invited their neighbor to join them. And when she did, she found a family that loved her and got to eat some good food and got to hear about Jesus. And then she came here on a Sunday morning and she heard from the Bible what Jesus said, that he loved her and wants her to spend eternity with him. And all along, as this family walked with her and welcomed her, Jesus was convincing her of who he was and who he created her to be. And at some point, it wasn't after a track and a sinner's prayer. At some point, after walking together with the family of God, Kim believed what Jesus said. And she gave her life to him. She's become part of our family. And she really has. I don't know if I'd ever seen her before she started coming to this church, but after she started coming to this church, her grandson and my son play on the same baseball team. And so I got to meet her kids and her other grandkids. And like the good grandma that she is, she gives my kids suckers from her purse, right? Like she went from a stranger on the street to a sister in Christ because Jesus is multiplying disciples, He really, really does it. People go from death to life when they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to treasure up those stories. We want to put them in a storehouse, a lockbox in our hearts, so that when hard times come and we wonder, God, could you ever save him? Are you ever going to move in her life? We remember, hey, God does it. He's done it before, and he'll do it again. It's who he is, and it's what he does. See, like, let's treasure the memories of Jesus multiplying disciples. All right, so I said that our mission is to multiply disciples and churches. Okay, so I want to give you some stats and some stories, and then we're going to be done. How is Jesus multiplying churches? Well, um, when we first started City Light Council Bluffs, there were three churches in the City Light family. Three. City Light Midtown was first, City Light Benson was second, and we were third. Now, one year later, we're a family of five. Two more churches have been planted. City Light Lincoln was planted in January. They launched. And next month, Providence Church in the Blackstone District over in Omaha by Xarban, they're going to launch. Five churches, two more in one year, and the trend isn't showing any signs of slowing down. City Light Midtown is ready to launch a a location in West Omaha next year, and City Light Lincoln is launching a college ministry and some city groups in Kearney this fall. They're praying about what it looked like to plant a church there. Jesus is multiplying churches. That really happens. And so we might ask, well, what's he doing right here in Council Bluffs? What's, how's he moving? I got an answer. I want to tell you two stories, okay? Um, the first one, this past summer, we did a thing called Summer School for Leaders. And in Summer School for Leaders, there are a whole bunch of different tracks you could choose from, kind of focuses that you'd, you'd uh, do to study for the summer. One of them was called Church Planting. Church planting is just a term that we use when we say we want to plant the seeds of, a go- of the gospel in a new community and pray and work to see it flourish among new people, okay? Church planting. Eight men said, we're going to jump into that track. Eight men wrote sermons, most of them for the very first time, just to get some practice. Eight men said, I want to discern whether or not God is calling me to be a church planter. 
eight men said, whether or not God ever calls me to plant a church, I want to be prepared in case he calls. So they studied God's word together. They prayed together. They worked together. They became friends pursuing Jesus together, all because they believe that Jesus really does multiply churches, and they want to be ready for it. They graduated just yesterday, eight men from a church planting track. That's incredible. Right here in our church. All right, one more story. Um, There's a guy named Jason Wilson who was the pastor of a church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a Steelers fan, which is almost, I mean, it's just a little better than a Husker fan, okay? (laughs) He was in Pennsylvania, and he started feeling called to plant a church. He's a pastor of a church um, out there. He starts feeling called to plant a church. And so he went to a church planting conference and he met some city light guys. And they told him what God was doing here. And so he started creeping us on Facebook and looking at what we were doing, trying to learn about how city light's working, what God's doing here. And then Doug and I got the chance to meet him and his wife and their kids earlier this year. And after that meeting, Doug and I said, you know what? These guys would be perfect. We would love to have them right here in our family, raising them up so we could send them out. And so we did what any good, honest church plant would do. We offered them a job without a salary. (laughs) Hey, we're a church plant. We love you guys. We don't have any money to pay you. If you want to raise your funds and come here, then we'd love to have you. And so he and his wife prayed. And they took a leap of faith And they left their role at the church in Pennsylvania. They sold their house. They packed their stuff and their family. They moved halfway across the country to Council Bluffs to land here in our church so that they can learn about what God is doing here and pray into. We're hoping that in a couple years we get to send them out to be church planters right here from this body. Yeah. God really is moving and planting churches. If you see these guys around, please welcome them, encourage them, cheer them on. They're taking a leap of faith, and I think God's going to honor that. See, like, uh, the stories are great, but I think maybe if you're sitting there now, you might be thinking, hey, I wasn't one of the eight guys that graduated yesterday. I'm not in that picture, you know, looking smiley and good. What do I do to be part of a church multiplying movement that God is on? If I'm honest with you, the answer is jump into or lead a city group. Churches multiply as city groups multiply. Let me tell you why. When a church is planted, they need a core team. That's just a group of people who are committed to doing the work that it takes to get a new church off the ground, the work that it takes to keep a church going. They need a core team. Core team members come from city groups because they've done it. A new church plant needs serving team leaders and city group leaders. And where do they get those leaders? From city groups. That's where they come from. I'm telling you, as our city groups go, our church planting efforts will go. This isn't magic. It isn't rocket science. It's just what God has called us to do. We're supposed to raise up people who are ready to respond to the call if and when God should make it. And we do that by becoming a family that follows Jesus in city group. And so I just want to tell you, God is multiplying churches. We ought to be a people that see these things, that are on the lookout for proofs and evidences of when God is doing what he said he would do. And oh, church, would we be a people that tell those stories? 
to treasure those stories, to put them in that lockbox, to put a stake in the ground so that one day when things are harder, we don't lose faith. But we look back and say, no, 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 God is who he said he is. He's doing what he said he would do whether or not we see it. See, like, let's treasure up these moments. Early on in the life of Jesus, Mary treasured up the moments when she saw God moving in her son. Early on in the life of the church, let's treasure up when we see God doing what he said he would do. Amen? Amen. Amen.